0: Hallelujah, it is finished, hallelujah it is done. Regardless how you came into service this morning, it's like we were created to Sing those words. It's not about your past actions or your future deeds for that matter. It's just about who He is and what He's done. We have a lot to be thankful for, I mean. Regardless of your circumstances and sufferings, he understands and I'm just taking comfort in the worship this morning. Thank you, worship team. We have a, a lot of gifts in this community, don't we? Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but I have kind of a heaviness on me this week, and it has to do with What happened in Paris, what's happening in Israel, what just happened in Mali, what happens continually in Africa, which is spoken about the least and probably actually more people have been killed by fanatic Islam, by Boko Haram than ISIS in Nigeria and other places. And I want to talk a little bit about uh, how do we respond to that, how do we deal with that as just kind of a framing for my teaching this morning. So Lord, I just pray that you would
1: uh, give me
0: uh, the words of your spirit and that your Spirit would communicate to each one of us what it is we need to understand and hear uh, that would uh, connect with your will for our lives and your purposes on the earth to the expansion and manifestation of your kingdom. Hashem Yeshua. Amen. So, I just think we need to address it briefly here. It's not my whole teaching, but just because it's, it's kind of a big deal, right? I mean, to a certain extent, it's getting enough coverage to where it's almost like 9-11 in Europe or something. Maybe not quite that big, but it's a lot. So, we first have to recognize that we're in the West at war with fanatic Islam to not acknowledge that, or call it that for that matter, which we're having this issue on the left, right? Not calling a spade a spade. Like we were talking about a few months ago, this refugee crisis, right, in Europe. The refugee crisis was because of fanatic Islam. (laughs) To talk about the root of where the crisis came from, Okay. Otherwise, you're not getting to the heart of the matter. Jihad. You can't separate jihad from Islam. The only reason we know what jihad is is because of fanatic Islam. Hello, right? Let's put our brains back on here. Watch too much television. You think they're somehow separated. To a certain extent, it's interesting because a lot of these jihadists, fanatic Muslims, you know what they're really trying to do? They're trying to get back to the Muslim roots of their faith. Here, we're emphasizing the Jewish roots of our faith, right? They're actually doing an opposite spirit, similar thing, getting back to what Muhammad actually taught and modeled. Hello? If you research Islam, you find out what Muhammad actually did in practice. It's exactly what's taking place. Not this watered-down version of Islam. Yes, our president was right. The majority of Muslim people are peace-loving people. He's absolutely right. The majority of Germans and Nazi Germany were peace-loving people. The majority of Russians in Stalinist Russia were peace-loving people. The majority of people in the Khmer Rouge of Cambodia were peace-loving people. We're not talking about the passive majority, peaceful majority here. We're talking about the people who actually influence, rule, and control societies and peoples. Hello? Leadership matters. If not, get out your history books. I just mentioned a few pretty big genocidal catastrophes in history that had to do with leadership agendas that were different than the, the majority of the people. So we have to separate ourselves from this understanding But it's not just fanatic Islam that we are at war with. We're actually also at war with the harlotry of the West. In fact, that's what Islam is portraying themselves to be, that they're fighting the harlotry of the West. To some extent, they're right, and that's good. No, not the way they're doing it. The West claims, and we see this response in France, they're wanting peace, right? Everybody wants peace in the West. But it's going to be a false peace without Yeshua. Because you have the harlot trying to make peace. Hello? That's pretty oxymoronic, right? So it makes sense in the sense of pacifying and and subduing fanatic Islam, shedding innocent blood, but take the plank out of our own eyes over here. The sexual immorality of the harlot, hello, right? There's a story of this, this is a, maybe a year ago I saw this British uh, protest in England And it was a a bunch of Muslims, and they were protesting I don't know what. And I saw this video, and, you know, they're all in their, of course, uh, Islamic garb and yelling things. And all of a sudden, this this British, looked like just a secular British middle-aged woman came up to this protest, and she said, she started yelling at them. She has some serious chutzpah. I mean, people are very afraid of Islam, even in Europe. And she, comes, she started yelling at them and telling them, you're, you know, you're murderers, and you're abusing women and children. She was saying all these true things about what Islam does. And you know what they said to her? What did they call her, anybody? What? Harlot! They called her a harlot. She wasn't wearing scandalous clothes. She was dressed in you know, normal, secular, European clothes. But they said, harlot, whore. I mean, they're seeing this, and I was just like, wow. These are these, these clashes of east and west that we're seeing here, the harlot and the beast. And we can't just assume it's only the beast while we're over here in camp with the harlot. Because what's interesting about there's this hypocrisy in the West, and we see it with Israel, where all of a sudden it's okay, and the French have this massive response to this terrorism, right? I want you to read, I want to read this brief quote from the French president. He said, right after this horror, to all those, this is a quote, to all those who have seen these awful things, I want to say we are going to lead a war which will be pitiless. It will show no mercy, is what he's saying. Pitiless. And they immediately, right, sent airstrikes against ISIS, against their command centers, against the, the oil trucks that are, that are funding ISIS. The training camps, why haven't we bombed those already? I don't know. United States. Um, the point is, can you imagine if Netanyahu, after the stabbings from yesterday, or I could say the murders from the two days before, or the day before, or the 80-year-old woman who was stabbed by an Arab in, uh, I think it was Tel Aviv. An 80-year-old woman, Really? Can you imagine if he got at a press conference and he said, and I quote, after you've seen these awful things, we, the Jewish people, Israel, are going to lead a war which will be merciless. Can you imagine? He would be immediately demonized, accused of war crimes and genocide for retaliation, for defending themselves, right? Do you see the hypocrisy of the West? So what is our response? This is, that was really just an introduction. Because we're going to get into the Bible. Because we want peace, don't we? We want true peace. I hope you do. And I want to suggest, and this is for our community specifically, so if you're a guest... That's fine, but I'm just, you know, I'm speaking to our congregation, you know? But our emphasis here is on the unity of Jew and Gentile, right? You've heard us say that. And what I want to suggest is, and and take a look at, is this bigger picture reality of why Jew-Gentile unity. And I think it actually has to do with a, a proper response to what's taking place in the world at this macro level and we need to see where we're fitting in the bigger picture because what we do here is not in a vacuum what we do here as we even see we're sending Jessica out We're, we're not alone we're a part of a bigger story and a bigger picture of what God is doing and bringing humanity bringing history to the culmination of his return hallelujah so how are we playing a piece in this role and so I'm talking about unity unto what so what unity right so what unity unto what Rich and I have been saying recently over and over asking ourselves this question about our kehilah here about our personal lives whatever we're doing unto what Tuesday night prayer and worship unto what Shabbat service unto what small group unto what we have to revisit these questions, right? Because sometimes you're doing something, and it's going well, your heart was good, it was unto something good, and then you don't even realize it, and you're going through the motions, you went into autopilot, and all of a sudden, you're trying to do the same thing over and over, and you're, you're not getting the results that you want. The fruit isn't there. And you can't keep doing the same things over and over and expecting different results, right? That's insanity, So we have to reevaluate, check in, because it's not about the list of things that we do. It has to be uh, rooted in and coming out of, of course, this relationship with Yeshua, right? Which is why you have to check in, and things shift. All right. So where I want to pick up is actually Rich's teaching last week. Hopefully you're here. Lord willing, we're going to get the recording of our teachings fixed so you can have easier access to them. Pray for us on that. But he, he had this message out of Philippians chapter 2. And I just want to I'll revisit that and then we'll, I'll show you what I want to share. Verse 1, Philippians 2 verse 1. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Messiah, if there is any comfort of love, If there is any fellowship in the Spirit, if there is any mercy and compassion, then make my joy complete by being of the same mind, having the same love, united in Spirit, with one purpose. Do nothing out of selfishness or selfish ambition or conceit, but with humility, and here's the key, consider others as more important than yourselves. Consider others as more important than yourselves. This is a foundational revelation and commandment, and I want you to connect that teaching that he had last week. He was talking about us reflecting on our heart, our motivations, and even just how we live life. And I want you to connect it with John chapter 15 on this commandment of Yeshua in verse 9 of John 15, where Yeshua says, This is very famous. Just as the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I'm going to be reading a lot of scripture, so stay with me. You're going to have to focus. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. We have this connection here again with our joy being complete. How many of you are satisfied today with how things are? Maybe in your individual life, but you can't be satisfied with what's going on in the world, right? So the question is can we do anything about it? Well, Yeshua here is talking about how we can have our joy. Joy isn't like happiness you know, this fleeting happiness. We have happy times, we have sad times. Joy is this inner shalom, right? It's this inner peace and satisfaction with what the, the Lord is doing in your life and what you're a part of. Verse 12, this is my commandment, Yeshua says, that you love one another just as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this. You've heard this before, right? That he laid down his life, for his friends, for one another. There's this connection here between considering others as more important than yourselves. It's, you know, look, when Rav Shaul is teaching in Philippians, what are his teaching based upon? Yeshua, the great rabbi, right? Rich and I are asking ourselves this other question, two questions, unto what? The other one recently is, what does our rabbi say? I'll challenge you with that. In your family, in your friendships, what does our rabbi say? Not your favorite teacher, which is fine if you want to quote your favorite teacher, but what does our rabbi say? And Rich was even saying, and then ask the Lord what you think he's saying. Rooting yourself in the words of our rabbi, interesting. Challenge you, try that. What does our rabbi say? The point is, is that this is a foundational reality of the kingdom of God. To love one another, to be willing to lay our lives down for one another, and considering ourselves as less important, I guess you could say, in the opposite, than others. You are less important than your neighbor. Ooh, that almost hurts to say it that way, doesn't it? What do you mean I'm less important? Well, I think that's the way to say it, just to like, kind of make you feel uncomfortable. You're less important than your neighbor. Now, that doesn't mean you're not important to God. Don't, I'm teaching in extremes here, okay? You're less important than your neighbor. All right, now let's turn to John 17, verse 13. I'll show you where I'm going. John 17, 13 is part of the same dialogue Yeshua has with his disciples here on the night before he's crucified, right? But now I'm coming to you, he says. Now he's in this discussion, uh, a prayer, you could say, with his father. But now I am coming to you, to his father, and I say these words while I'm still in the world so that they may have my joy made complete in themselves. Here we see it again. Somehow our joy is connected in with what we're talking about here, of laying our lives down for one another. Then he says, I have given them your word, and the world hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Verse 15, I am not asking that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. I love this verse. Because I always say, if you're alive and breathing, he has a purpose for you on this planet. He's not praying, oh, Lord, it's so bad down here. We've got ISIS. We've got the harlot. We've got homosexuality. The courts are, what do we do? Let's get out of here. No. We've got Rome. Think about it. This is not a good environment in the first century either. They just say, get out of here. No, he says, I don't pray that to take them out, but to keep them from the evil one. Well, there's a good prayer. Lord. Actually, it sounds like the Lord's prayer, doesn't it? <laughs> quoting himself. Our rabbi is quoting himself. <laughs> Verse 60. I just made that up. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Well, this sounds like Rob Shaul, doesn't it? He says... You are to be in the world, but not of the world. Well, where did he get it? He got it from Yeshua. Okay, skip to verse 20. Big highlight here. This is about John 17 unity. We kind of use that that little phrase a lot around here. John 17, what is that? Let's look at John 17 unity, because this is a core about who we are and a core about what Yeshua desires for the world. Which is important, because this is what our rabbi says. Verse 20, I pray not on behalf of these only. Who are the these? These are the 12 Jewish disciples, right? Or 11, actually. Then he says, But also for those who believe in me through their message. Now, just pause for a second. What is Yeshua saying here? If you put your thinking cap on, he's actually talking about Jew and Gentile. He's talking about Israel and the nations. And the context will prove this out. Then he keeps going, that they all, meaning you that are here, and all, I mean, we are receivers of that message, are we not? Then he says that they all may be one. Israel and the nations, Jew and Gentile, the body of Messiah, just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, so also may they be one. Here it is again. That's two, one. Two, one. In us, so why? Why should they be one? Why should we do unity? Unity unto what? So the world may believe that you sent me. The unity is for the benefit of of world redemption. It's not unity unto patting ourselves on the back. It's not unity unto, for unity's sake or to say we're all about unity or to have a nice vision statement on our website. It's unto world salvation is what Yeshua says. That something about the unity of Jew and Gentile leads to the world knowing. Let's keep going. The glory, verse 22, that you have given to me, I have given to them, that they may be one. Here it is a third time. Just as we are one. So something about the oneness of Jew and Gentile is reflecting the oneness of the Godhead. The oneness of the Father and Son. Now that's something to die for. Well, according to the disciples, they did die for that, right? That meant something to them. Then he says, I and them and you and me, that they may be perfected in unity. I mean, it couldn't be clearer here, right? This desire for unity and oneness. So that the world may know. Again, this why. Before it was believed, and now it's that they know. So that the world would know and believe that the Father sent the Son. And then he says, so... Uh, excuse me, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them as you love me. This is all about God's love for humanity. This is incredible. That something, I mean, we, have, we, have we looked at this before? Something about the unity of the body of Messiah, and I will say the context here is Jew and Gentile, leads to, The world knowing and believing that the Father sent His Son. That's something to be a part of beyond ourselves. Hello, right? That's something to die for. Now, fast forward to Ephesians 2. Because this isn't the only place that this unity of Jew and Gentile is communicated and Paul is picking up on, Rav Shul is picking up on Yeshua's teaching just like he did in those other instances I just showed you. And he's uh, bringing a little more understanding. Verse 14. I have the TLV translation, which is good here. For he, Yeshua, is our shalom, the one who made the two into one. Here the context is clear. If I backed up, it's Jew and Gentile, right? That the two become one, and that leads to shalom, which is what we all said earlier we're desiring in this world because we're not getting it because of fanatic Islam and because of the harlot, right? We're saying we want shalom, we want peace. And he's saying it comes through Yeshua. It doesn't happen without Yeshua. Don't hear it's something about who we are, something like that. No. It's all about being one in Yeshua. It has to be an outworking of that or it doesn't work. Then he says, And he broke down the middle wall of separation, separating Jew and Gentile. Within his flesh, he made powerless the hostility. I love this translation. The law code of mitzvot contained in regulations. And he did this in order to create within himself one new man from the two groups, making shalom, again we see this shalom, and to reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. And he came and proclaimed shalom to you who are far away and shalom to those who were near. For through him... We both have access to the Father by the same Spirit. Meaning, in Yeshua, through Yeshua, now we have access to something new that they didn't have before, which was that now we get to manifest the kingdom of God at this greater uh, capacity to where it actually leads to the redemption of all of humanity. That's a pretty big deal. So it's Jew-Gentile unity, one new man, unto what? Unto shalom. That's what it's saying here again in Ephesians 2 and John 17, that the unity is unto the kingdom. But I'll keep going, verse 19. I'll say it this way. If we didn't have any Messianic Jews, how do we have the unity of Jew and Gentile? We just got a bunch of Gentiles. Right? People who teach that, that all Gentiles become Jews, well, who's grafted into Israel? Or if we all become Gentiles and Jews aren't Jews anymore, well, who's grafted into Israel? We still have a problem. It's weird because people believe they're grafted into Israel, but then when they actually think about it, it doesn't really work out. If, if Israel can't remain Israel. If the remnant of Israel doesn't remain Jewish. Okay. I'm going to keep going. Quickly, verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and foreigners, talking about Gentiles, but you are fellow citizens with God's people, members of God's household. You have been built on the foundation, made up of the emissaries and prophets, with Messiah Yeshua himself being the cornerstone. In him, the whole building, being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple for the Lord. In Him, you also are being built together into God's dwelling place in the Spirit. There's something about the unity of Jew and Gentile, the one new man. Jews remaining Jews, Gentiles remaining Gentiles, coming together, together it says twice here, as one that builds the very holy temple of God. And it, that becomes a dwelling place for His presence which is why it leads to salvation of the world because the light gets brighter and his presence gets stronger through us, right? He sends out people to expand the kingdom, the Great Commission, right? I've taught on this before. The kingdom is made up of people. It's not just a spiritual, kind of like esoteric, out there kingdom. You are the kingdom. I am the king. I mean... Why, Lord? I mean, you take it up with him. I mean, we are the kingdom of God. Okay, keep going. Ephesians 3, quickly. Verse 4. We're talking about this mystery of the Gentiles. Because this is new, as we find out. When you read this, Paul says, "...you understand my insight into the mystery of Messiah, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations." as it has now been revealed by the Ruach to, his, to the Spirit, to His holy emissaries and prophets. This mystery is that the Gentiles are joint heirs and fellow members of the same body, co-sharers of the promise in Messiah Yeshua through the good news. It's real clear in here, co-sharers, right? Co-heirs, members of the same body, no longer strangers, no longer foreigners. We'll keep going. Verse 8. This favor was given to me, the very least of his Kedoshim, his holy ones, to proclaim to the Gentiles the endless riches of the Messiah and to bring to light the plan of the mystery, which for ages was hidden in God, who created all things. The purpose of this mystery being revealed is that through Messiah's community or ecclesia or church, his kehilah, the great kehilah, the great body of Messiah, the purpose of Jew and Gentile unity is the multifaceted wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities or the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Wow. He just took it to this whole new level here, right? He's saying, it sounds like Ephesians 6, because this is the context, is the book of Ephesians, right? That we war not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the air. What he's saying is, this is a spiritual battle. And if you study fanatic Islam at all, guys, this is a spiritual battle, right? How do we fight this spiritual battle? Especially when you probably can't physically go and fight them in the physical anyway, right? What am I saying? I'm saying there's something about manifesting this Jew-Gentile, this co-heir, this unity in Yeshua, actually is spiritual high-level warfare. What we're doing this morning, worshiping together Jew and Gentile, is high-level warfare. I've never read a book on that. Not yet. <laughs> it's high-level warfare. We're fighting fanatic Islam this morning. By participating. I could fill the Lord on it. We're fighting fanatic Islam by coming together as one in Yeshua and laying our lives down for one another and serving the other one and saying, I'm going to put you before me. You're different than me. You're a strange white guy from Kansas, but I'm still going to put your life before my life. You know? That's powerful and it speaks to the principalities and powers about the multifaceted wisdom of God. And it's not just that, but it's unto something even greater. If you turn to Romans chapter 11. Because this warfare leads to something. Romans 11:25 He says, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. So there's, questions on what is the fullness of the Gentiles. I think putting it in the context of this purpose here, we see that there's something about the unity of the remnant of Israel and the remnant of the nations that when they come together, it actually leads to the salvation of Israel and the Jewish people. That the fullness of the Gentiles has to mean, not just full number, although I I do think it means number, that there has to be a certain number, but the Gentiles also have to recognize what? That there are Jews. That there is a Messianic remnant. How else could they possibly come together and be unified if the other party didn't exist? It's kind of like the two-state solution. When the Arabs and Mahmoud Abbas and the P... Uh, the the Palestinian authority doesn't recognize the existence of the state of Israel. How in the world can you have a two-state? How can Netanyahu sit down and have peace talks when the other party doesn't acknowledge they exist? That's hilarious. That's stupidity on the West. Like that, talk about preconditions for negotiations. How about the acknowledgement of the existence of the person across from the table from you? It's insanity. It's a spiritual war. <laughs> it's silly. So, what does this mean? It means that the unity actually leads to the salvation of all of Israel, that all Israel will be saved. This means, if you back up to verse 15, for if their rejection, leads to the reconciliation of the world. If Israel rejected Yeshua, as we saw the majority in, in first century Israel, it led to the reconciliation of the world and the Gentiles coming into the fullness. What will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Which is saying the same thing here, right? That the salvation, I'll say it this way, that the unity of Jew and Gentile leads to the salvation of the Jewish people, that all Israel will be saved, which means life from the dead, which means the return of Yeshua. Do you see all these? I mean, I know that seems like a lot of connections, but that's the connection that the scripture is making here. That there's this connection between the unity and the necessary unity of the body of Messiah. These are Yeshua saying this, that you would be one as me and my father are one so that the world would know. We want the world to know. So we also do evangelism, of course. I'm not saying, but I'm saying this is a piece that's been missing. We've been doing evangelism, and we need to continue to do that. But I'm saying this is a piece that's been missing, that's a a foundational piece of the puzzle, that says that the world may know, or you could say it differently, that they would all know me from the greatest to the least, the New Covenant text, Jeremiah 31, or that the knowledge of God would cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. That's what God desires. And so there's a way that we can, if you're not a missionary in Africa or something, you can actually participate in this corporate high-level warfare at the congregational level. Wow. And all of a sudden, your congregational level and your participation and your individual relationships, they matter unto something way beyond yourself. So, where are we in history? Where are we to conclude here? Where are we in God's story? I guess to say it this way, we, we had the remnant of Israel, that led to, through the Great Commission, right? A remnant of the nations, right? Today we have that represented. We have a remnant of Israel and a remnant of the nations. And what I'm saying is, is that where, that's where we are. Now it's time for the unity of these two remnants to partner together. And that partnership is actually going to lead to the salvation of Israel and is going to lead to the return of Yeshua. And that's going to lead to the salvation of the nations. Because all the world will know. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Yeshua is Lord. So actually what we're doing is, I feel like even lately, as we've, we've come together and been more and more unified The more we sing about he's coming, I can feel it more and more. It's like something about what we're doing is starting to grab the heavens and pull it down on top of us. And so in, in conclusion, I'd say this. Studying our Jewish roots, Hebrew roots, it's not about, oh, that's a really good teaching. Or now, now I've got some really new revelation, or, or I've got the right doctrine, or it, it's not. That's not what it's about. It's unto unity, unto shalom, unto the return of Yeshua and the salvation of Israel and the nations. It's not so. We can have some something to tickle us, make us feel good, make us feel smarter than our other neighbor. It has to be unto something. That's why it has to be a part of this corporate reality. It has to be unto something outside of ourselves, not just so that I feel neat with my family, although that's important and good. It's about laying your life down for your friend, for your neighbors, right? Or we could just get back to the second commandment, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. So this sacrificial service to others, united together in community, this is my summary, we are actually fighting against the principalities and powers of fanatic Islam, of the harlotry of the West, and we are partnering with and in the oneness of the Father and Yeshua, the Godhead, to establish and bring true shalom to the earth, joy to the world, so that our joy would be made complete. That's joy to the world, that he would be ruling and reigning in Jerusalem. Sometimes people talk about, uh, there's this percent of, of Christians who are becoming anti-Zionist, anti-Israel, and saying, oh, the poor Palestinians under oppression. And say, as if Sharia law is going to be better for them. No, what they need is not even Israeli law. They need Yeshua ruling and reigning from Jerusalem. That's what we all need. Yeshua, Bo Yeshua, ruling and reigning from Jerusalem. There will be no peace. So what if we defeat ISIS? There will be another one. Al-Qaeda was real strong, and now ISIS seems to be a little stronger. I mean, there will be someone else, another head that pops up. What we need, when we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, remember, we're praying that Yeshua would return. Because there will be no peace in Jerusalem until he's sitting there and he's ruling and reigning, and God willing, we're partnering with him. God willing, we're on his side. God willing, we're partnering with the Jewish people, and we are saying, Bo Yeshua, as they're crying out, Baruch HaBab Hashem Adonai. So he is coming. Abba, I just thank you that you are coming, that you're coming soon, on your perfect Time schedule that only the Father knows, and that you're coming to Jerusalem. You're coming to the earth. You're coming to make right all the wrong, all the injustice, all the violence, the shedding innocent blood, the murder, the immorality that splits families. The adultery that hurts children. The abortion, Lord, that takes innocent life in the name of convenience. That mocks your name in the earth. God, help us to lay our lives down for one another. Help us, Lord. To love like you loved. That ultimate love of sacrificing for one another. That we would look at our brothers and put them before ourselves and actually consider ourselves as less than our brothers. As Paul even taught, that he would somehow be able to actually say that he would be separate from Messiah for the sake of his brothers, Lord. Help us to love well. And Lord, give us the strength to manifest your kingdom, to partner with this unity that you so desire. Help us with figuring out what that even means. What does that look like? How do we do that? Help us, Lord. Root out selfishness and selfish ambition as we put ourselves at the center of our own kingdoms may we see where we fit in the bigger story of what you're doing may we be motivated by this warfare unto your name and unto your return and unto the salvation of your people and the salvation of the world. That they would all, the world would know that your Father sent you. And that they would not just know but believe. Call upon your name before it's too late.
2: up and join us um, doesn't that make you want to worship let's do this together let's glorify our king there's a there's a picture to be completed it's not complete yet and so we keep singing we keep praising we keep Lives, worshiping the Lord, going to work, being moms, being dads, looking for a spouse. What's really cool is that what we see is not the entire picture. And we can worship Him because He completes the picture. It's one of those things about the things that are going on in the world, and when we look at the news, we get discouraged. Sometimes I'm like, wait a second, that is not It's not the whole picture. What's being presented to us is only a sliver of it. And he's going to come and he's going to take his place.
0: Happy to meet you where you are. the Lord has spoken to you about any of these things in your heart in your life.
2: If Yeshua is here and he's convicting you about where
0: you stand.
1: Perhaps you don't know Yeshua like you'd like to know him.
0: Perhaps you'd like to come and recommit your life to him. We stand in the shadow of his presence and his judgment.